You know, I think what I think what we do is I think that we come to God and we try to come with a cup that's full. And we think if I if I'm supposed to come with a cup that's full, so then I can empty it and bless God. Do you know what I think is more accurate? What what I think is maybe better, and what I think will work better, is when we is when we come with an empty cup. Catch this, catch this. When we come with an empty cup and empty it. God can't fill a cup that's already full. And I think that we forget that he works miracles in the empty spaces. And we're afraid to come when we're empty, but when we're empty is the point. And then we come to empty an empty cup so that God can do something in our lives. Is it a happy Thanksgiving? You know, I love Thanksgiving and I love turkey and I love family and I love all those things. But I think sometimes we do all those things and forget that God was the one who made turkeys. Or tofu turkeys or whatever you're into. And I just feel like sometimes we just got to pull everything back and just be like, remember what thankfulness actually is. And thankfulness is not about what you don't have. Thankfulness isn't really about what you do have. Thankfulness is supposed to go a lot deeper than that, I think, with children of God. We've been um, exploring this series about resilience. And um, this is how we defined it um, for the series. It's the ability to bend beneath the load, but spring back into God's design for you. Sometimes, you know, we bend beneath the load and we just break. That's the end of us, you know. God doesn't listen to, we're all going to be broken in some regard but God doesn't want you to stay broken forever I mean yeah when you get to heaven you get it all but you can still walk with a limp you can still be relatively healed in this lifetime you know I don't care what's happened to you in the past God can heal anything God can do anything That's right. we, I think sometimes we walk with a limp so that we're reminded that other people walk with a limp and other people have broken things that haven't been fixed yet and uh we were talking about the enemies of resilience uh, last week in insecurity. Next week is stubbornness. It's called not the donkey. If you didn't grow up in Sunday school, you don't know that God spoke to somebody, a prophet, through a donkey. And so sometimes I feel like, because I'm talking about stubbornness, the guy's like, here comes the donkey. And we're like, not the donkey. And God's like, I'm sending the donkey. If you won't listen to anything else, I'll send you a donkey and you'll have to listen to the donkey. And uh, we got any stubborn people in the house. Just raise your hand. Just like, I'm just preparing you for it mentally. So when we get there, I don't hurt your feelings. Today's sermon is called Your Lot in Life. Um, Abraham had a nephew named Lot. And Lot, Lot didn't get what we're talking about today on Thanksgiving. He didn't get it right. And Abraham watched what happened to his entire family. Now Abraham's name changed to Abraham. So I'm going to swap back and forth, but y'all know who I'm talking about. Like if I say Abram, you're not like, is he talking about is Abraham, right? Yeah. Okay. okay. Thank you, Layden. Everybody else, just follow him because he seems to be ahead of you. Um, which is probably the first in Layden's life. So, <laughs> like, hey, I'm in front of you. Yeah, Layden, we did it. Um, some of the scripture is R-rated. I'm not going to get into it here because some of y'all go home and read it but before your kids read it I would suggest you reading it because Abraham uh, he gets something right that Lot gets wrong and then Lot's entire family line plunges into not great 
And in fact, next week when I'm talking about the prophet Balaam and the, the nations that were coming against Israel to hire Balaam to curse Israel, those nations came from Lot. And so, um, so get this right today, what I'm going to preach about, yeah. or they're going to write books of the Bible about you and you won't be the hero. Um, we always, I'm, whenever I read, I'm always like, I'm always Jesus in the story. I'm not like the idiots, right? I'm like, oh yeah, I told them Jesus. Thanks, Sean. You know, part, I was thinking about this part of resilience. I'm going to talk about um, a word today, part of resilience. And I think when I see a resilient person, they always seem to have this, this thing that uh, people who are not resilient, who don't spring back. See, sometimes you get bent beneath the load and you stay bent, but other times you spring back way too far and it's not into God's design. That's why I had to say that into God's design for you. Cause sometimes the devil will, will pull you over in this direction to spring you back in the, to this direction so that you're equally crazy. And so, um, <laughs> you like that? I thought that was funny. I just threw that crazy thing in there. Just sometimes I'll say something and throw a word in there just to see if anybody catches it. And then I go home and laugh about it later. Um, I just made that up too. So I can go home and laugh about it later. Um, Part of resilience is, and get, get this, an abiding satisfaction in today. Yes, yes. Like not to, I'm a tomorrow person. I am always, I am, it has taken me decades to engage with today. Some people are past people. All you think about is what happened and that's why you can't, or I wish we couldn't go back. And I don't think about yesterday. I do think about tomorrow. And I think about tomorrow, I think too much sometimes. And, and uh, part of resilience is an abiding satisfaction and engagement right, right here and right now. Like, I, I don't want to be home with Turkey yet. It's like 11 in the morning, y'all. I don't want to. It's an engagement and a satisfaction in your life right now. Not when all the bugs get worked out. Right. Have you never discovered that? Listen, as every stage of my life, I was waiting for the bugs to get worked out of something. And then every time that they were, there was new bugs to work out when satisfaction has nothing to do with my circumstance not really satisfaction has to do with my proximity to Christ did you know that that Jesus has the happiness switch can I say this I some people wait till they're happy to smile but happy people are the people who smiled right. meaning like if you tell this what to do then this actually follows it and some people are working overtime. I see, I see some people and I'm like, man, your face, you just work overtime looking miserable. No wonder it works its way inside of you. And if I'm God, I'm like, hey, I'm ready to pour joy out. Whose face should I pour it on? And you're like, I'm like, that's a waste of it. It's just gonna bounce all over the place. And, and I lost all this joy. I'm gonna pour it on the happy kids, you know? I think sometimes we're waiting for something to change here, but you don't realize that you change it here, right? Yeah. I tell people, I tell introverts, I mean, you gotta, you gotta learn how to smile with your eyes. Cause like, you're still death staring us. You gotta, when I smile, I told somebody this morning, I'm like, when I smile, it's like our little secret between you and me. I taught, listen, I was the un most unsmiling person on earth. I had to learn how to, is this helping anybody today? Yeah. You can learn how to smile if you're a grumpy, miserable person. Yeah. My dad used to say, smile boy. And wouldn't you know it, I'd get happier, why? Cause he wouldn't let me look miserable all the time. <laughs> James, the brother of Jesus says, count it all joy when you go through various trials. I don't know what I do. I'm just waiting for the trial to be over. 
so that I can count it all joy. He says, I found my smile in the trial. That came to me in the other service, and I thought it was amazing. <laughs> he found his smile in the trial. I mean, he learned how to smile during the trial. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not what I, I'm waiting for the trial to be over so that I can, you know, future smile and future be happy. But listen, my first thoughts, when God gives you something that I want, say a lot about what's going on in me. You know, you get the car that I want. I'm like, you don't even need a car and they get a new car. My first thoughts, my, my next, you know, emotion, whatever, you know, somebody, somebody has a baby that you wanted. You know, what happens in here then? Yeah. Somebody, you know, like you're single and somebody finds a husband. We got any single people in the house? Yep. Come on, single people, get your hand up there. I'm, I'm handing this to you. It's like, yeah, right here. Yeah, right here. Available. Yeah. Love Jesus, make a great husband, make a great wife right here. I'll tell you that, that other service, they just didn't get it. They just, I'm like, guys, I am handing it. No wonder like you're still, it's like literally handing it to you. <laughs> Somebody gets a promotion. What does that do inside of you? Somebody has something that you, you think that, that you ought to have. What happens in here next? That, that says a lot about you. Um, you know, and it's never what you have. That's not really the problem. What you have is not where you get satisfaction from. You know what? You know why I'm unsatisfied? I, I'm. It's not. It's not my yard. You know, when we moved to Airdrie, our yard is uh, is landscaped, which I would never probably pay for because I'm super super cheap. Um, but it was landscaped, and it's great. So I do. I do like 15 minutes every week. I mow the grass and trim it. That's all that I do. So it's like, is it five percent? Probably not. Pastor Erin does all the rest of it. And in fact, that is her de-stressor. So whenever she's looking crazy, because y'all make her crazy, I'm like, you just go out and grub around in the garden for an hour. And like, and she loves it. She plants and comes back with, you know, birds in her hair and all this. And she loves it. She does all this work to keep our yard. And our yard is amazing. We never had a landscape yard before we came here. And, uh, but every time I'm in that yard, you know what I do? I don't, I don't. Look at my yard, because my yard is amazing. I look over at Jackie's yard. Jackie's my neighbor, and our yards share. And so it was great when we first moved there, because I'm like, well, it's nice that somebody with a adjoining yards doesn't keep a you know nasty yard, because then your yard looks like garbage. You know, whatever. It's, my property value goes down, or whatever. <laughs> and as I was meeting her, I know what she's thinking now. I didn't know at the time, but you know, we're shaking hands, and I'm meeting, and she's like. I'll mow my grass an hour before you do every week. I wake up at 6 a.m. and I'm thinking, I should mow my grass today and I heard lawnmower starts up. The devil tells her when I'm thinking of mowing my grass and she gets in there and it's like, I get outside, I'm just like, I look over there and her lines are all straight and I'm like, I'm cutting my yard with this electric transformer lawnmower with a battery and she's got this great big gas thing she fires up. Puts a little loudspeaker in the side of my office. Garbage neighbor really. No, she's great. I, it's funny. I'm always looking over there and then I'm never satisfied with this here because I look over there and you know, she doesn't have kids living in the house anymore and she doesn't have a 18 bikes. I don't even know how we have 18 bikes. We don't have that many kids. We got bikes for kids we don't even have. 
You want a bike? Just come take a, one of our bikes. I don't know. It probably doesn't work anymore, but take it. We got stuff in our yard, but it still looks beautiful. But it's funny, I always look over in this direction, but I never look over in the other direction. And I can make fun of their yard because they told me they're never coming to church. <laughs> listening to the podcast. I look over there and they cut their grass about twice a year. And I cut the grass on the side between us because I'm like, it would never get cut. Which I don't mind. But it's funny, my satisfaction levels don't have anything to do with that yard and have everything to do with what I don't have over here. Because Jackie doesn't have a job, you know, Pastor Aaron works full time and then she has a lot of kids and then she, she's busy. And Jackie, she, she's like kind of retired and she's got nothing but time. And every time I look over there, there's something new in that yard. And I'm, I'm thinking, what a garbage neighbor. I want a, I want a good neighbor. I want a garbage yards on both sides. See, what you see establishes this minimum that you now need. You see, somebody else has something and it establishes in your mind this line on your cup that if it doesn't get to this line, then, then I can't be satisfied with today. What I see creates this law. I'm, I'm going to call it a law of minimum in your life. And then we start living this this. When you live by laws of minimums, you're not hard for the devil to bend in the storm or to spring back too far in the storm because you're not satisfied with today. You're always thinking about what you don't have and you're always, this is, listen, listen, this is how you know, and I live so many years and decades with this. I can't until I have, it's a minimum amount that you're talking about. It's a law of minimum. When you create a law of minimums, it creates a concrete ceiling in your life that can't tap into destiny and it can't tap into miracles and it can't tap into anything that God has because he has no ceiling. And when you start thinking there's only so much to go around and if I don't get this affection, then I'm just not, then it's just not going to, and if I don't get the, it's like growing up with too many kids and if you don't get to the food trough, but then we come into God's house and he's like, it's a buffet that never ends and we're in there just like. We have too many kids, and so when we eat now, we eat way too fast, right? Because the food is hot for like, and you know, if, if your kids can shut up long enough, you've got 30 seconds, eat it. And we do that with God, though. We come into God's house, and I can't be a good mom unless, look, I'm single now, and I can't be a good mom until, or I'm working full-time, and I can't be a good mom. I can't, uh, how about this? I can't, I can't flee temptation until something changes here or maybe if I right yeah um I'll never be satisfied in a relationship until this thing happens sometimes people in relationships what we do is we're trying to recreate something that didn't actually happen before in our lives we just thought that we were happier don't miss that you're trying to recreate a, a day in kindergarten where you felt warm and fuzzy and loved and were full of sugar. You're trying to recreate that somehow in your family now. It's not even a thing that happened because kindergarten had struggle too. You just remember what you think you felt like. And the devil puts this law of minimum and you're just like, until my cup gets full to this point, I'm just never going to be happy. I'm just never going to be satisfied until my circumstance, you know, until I get this amount of money, this is my minimum line where I'll stop worrying about money. Right, because people with money don't worry about money. What's the minimum? The minimum to you is a lot higher than it is to most people in the world. You start like, well, unless I have this here, you know, I'll be patient 
as soon as God removes my idiot problem, I don't have an anger problem. I have an idiot problem. If God would just get rid of the idiots, well, God put idiots around you to build your patience. And God put you around them because you're the idiot that's building patience. Come on, same man, Venue Church. You know it's true. How come my entire division is full of idiots? And they're like, you too, man. You're building patience in people. I build patience in all sorts of people. You're welcome. Listen, I can't function unless I have eight hours of sleep. What we mean is, I'm not going to be nice. And even if I get eight hours, I'm probably not going to be nice. You know, um, I can't work for less than X number of dollars an hour. That's one. Meaning if I don't get it, then I might as well just sit on unemployment. When the Bible says, if you don't work, then you don't eat. I'm trying to get people during COVID. I'm like, work. Yeah. Like, work. We got to, um, you know, I'll go to, long, to church, you know, as long as pastor stops. Hurt my feelings. Yeah, I mean, we do this though, right? Like, I'm going to stay in this family as long I'll stay in this relationship as long as he, until she, right? And we create this minimum line that everybody else is supposed to know about. But the person that's affecting is us. Because there's people that have a lot less than you who are a lot happier than you. Here's the thing. Um, it makes us focus on the only thing that the devil might be winning in your life. Maybe something's not on, in, on, you're not there yet. You're not grown up yet. You're not mature yet. Something's not... And it makes us focus on the only thing that the devil's doing. You had 20 good things happen in that day, but one bad thing, and that's all you can think about. When this thing is gone, then I'll, then I'll finally be, and then I'll finally, and then I'll, and then I'll, you know, but the trouble is when you live by the law of minimums, ready, ready? When the blessing does come, now you have more to lose because minimums is all about losing. You're trying not to lose anymore, right? And so, and so if I'm not happy with $50 and I could, then if you had $100, you, you now have more to lose because the, the enemy can put a gun to your head and threaten to take your stuff away or take your relationship away or take your morality away or... Come on, Venue Church. Yeah. I feel like that's preaching better than right. you're responding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when you have... You really want a child, but then you have a child and then you realize, oh, my heart can break in a whole other right. way now. Yeah. And then you have four and then you realize, Ooh, things are complicated. I have four. I live in a house with five women. I didn't even know what drama television was until I got married. I'm like, there's entire shows devoted to crying. I was working on a home project one time, true story. And when I'm on a project, like, just don't distract me. Just leave me alone. You know, I'm just working. Unless you want to get a hammer, put it in your hand, let's do it. And she, and she my lovely wife, Pastor Aaron, who's right here. She's like, can you just come and sit with me? I just want to be with you during this movie, whatever. And I'm like, now? And I come in and I sit down. They didn't even say any words. For five minutes, everybody was crying on the screen. I have a new law of minimums. Like, I can't do that emotionally anymore. I didn't even know that that was the thing. I just want to watch movies where the bad guys get shot. It's not, not difficult. It's a law of minimums, you know? Um, this is how the devil traps me. You know, we'll, we'll do a church service. We'll have hundreds of people come out. And all I can think about is the one person who wasn't there that I really wanted to be there. Yeah. I love people and I tell myself that, but like, but God loves all the people who were here. And I see somebody who didn't get prayed for, you know, on a first Wednesday. I'm like, why didn't they get prayed for? I, I definitely know they needed to. 
and they're gonna sit there and need pastoral counsel. Why don't you just go and get prayed for? So I don't have to do the counseling later. I'm not a great counselor most of the time. I'm like, shut up, I got it. Like, let me just. <laughs> Pastor is better at counseling. I'm like, yeah, no, shut up, I got it. Like, I just do this thing and stop being an idiot, you know. <laughs> you think I'm joking? I'm like, I'm like, hey, pain, that's good. God is doing stuff. Hey, that's that's great. I'm just like, I just don't want to feel pain anymore. Like, well, no, it's good. Like, I enjoy pain. Um, <laughs> like for you, like, not for me. <laughs> Listen, everything that happens after your life is on a law of minimums is you trying to get your cup up to that mark again. And then you come home, you know, I come home and I'm all used, all my words are used up. Come on, man, we don't have that many. All my words are used up and Aaron wants to have a long discussion about, I don't know. That's, I'm not gonna feel like I want anything. Or my kid starts in on a long story that's probably not going anywhere and has many tangents that are also not going anywhere, but I'm tired and I'm thinking about something else and all my words are gone. And God is like, pour it out and be engaged and satisfied in the moment. But I'm like, but I don't have anything to pour out because my minimum is like, I just don't want words right now, you know? And God's like, pour it out. See, we get so worried about it. Or, or your, your husband is like, hey, can we have a little bit of fun tonight? And you're like, you had fun. That's why we have kids and that's why I'm tired and that's why there's no more fun. <laughs> and God's like, pour it out. Come on, man, I'm helping you out here. God's like, pour it out. You're like, I don't have it. It's not my love tank or whatever you call it. Is that a thing, love tank? It's not full. And God's like, pour it out because you live beside the river of God that pour it out so that I can fill it. And you're like, yeah, but no, I got to keep this money. He's like, that's not even, it's like an inch in the bottom of a cup. That's all you, it's a law of minimums. You're not living according to the expanse of God, God who is more than enough. God who is the all sufficient one. Um, we panic though, right? This is what I do when I'm, when I'm hungry and I'm eating a meal. If you ever eat a meal with me, I like potatoes. I'm Irish, I'll eat half of the potatoes immediately because I'm panicky and I'm hungry, right? So I can calm down. We went to Ireland with my mom and dad and I was grumpy most of the time. You know why? Because I didn't know where we were gonna eat like five hours from now and it stressed me out. Guys are not complicated. If you figure out the food thing, you're halfway there. Are you hungry? Is that why you're being weird? Like we don't know. So just like feed us something and then we'll probably be fine. Not complicated. And now I'm like a child, really. Like I, so now what we do, Pastor Aaron just packs snacks. I'm good. I can relax a little bit. So you're always trying to get that cup up to this mark. That's why you need snacks in her like purse bag thing that she's got going on there. Any ladies have purses? I was looking at like Anita's purse today. She dropped something in there and I'm like, it's like a, from Harry Potter, one of those bags. They're like, oh, here's a bicycle and here's a horse. Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing, you know, guys only carry what we can fit in our pockets because that makes sense to us, right? But you got, y'all got stuff in there. You know, so we panic and we, you know, um, when, when my, my mom was curious, it was never what she was eating, it was what you were eating that was curious. She would reach over and pick food off of my plate. And even as a boy, I knew that I didn't buy the food and I knew I didn't make the food, but that food is my food. Do not touch my food. And then I, I date Pastor Aaron. And listen, I, I offered her one time. I'm like, I want a Dr. Pepper. Do you want a Dr. Pepper? I'll buy her five. I don't care about money. That's not how my brain works. I'm like, do you want a Dr. Pepper? She's like, no, with the full intention of drinking 50% of my Dr. Pepper. 
I'm like, this is morally wrong. This belongs to me, and you're stealing it from me. I'm like John Wick, like you stole it from me. I'm not getting over this. And it was amazing, the 50% that I had was amazing. But that's not what I have that I was satisfied. I was, it was what she took. It's a law of minimums. See, the more you have from God's hand, the further you can get from God's heart. If it's the law of minimums, the more you get, the more you start thinking about what you don't have yet until this issue gets solved in you. Everything God gives you that's good, that isn't uh, sin and death, which is what you deserve, should be a huge uh, adventure shock to us. Just like, why would you even do this? Why would you even? But that's not how we think about it, are we? Listen, grateful people tend to be satisfied people, and grateful people are the most resilient people. Grateful people have built a skill where their lack, ready? Reminds them of their blessing. They discipline themselves so that when they don't have something, they remember what God already did. Right? So David can't beat Goliath unless he remembers the lion and the bear and reminds himself, wait, 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 wait. This is new to me, but a giant is not new to God and a lion and a bear. What teenager... Grateful people have built a skill where their lack reminds them of their blessing. You're not born with that skill. You've got to build it. And I realized my lack, actually, when I don't have something, I could be reminded of all the beauty that God gave me that I don't deserve either. It could build this resilience inside of me so that the devil can't put a gun to my head anymore and say, hey, I'm going to take this away from you. And I'll be like, I can come up with another hundred things like that that I have that... You can't take away from me a relationship with yeah. God in heaven, a future in heaven, right. joy, peace yeah. in the midst of war, yeah. peace in the midst of COVID. How is this even possible? Now, Abram, Abram's love minimums is centered around one thing. He doesn't have a son. Now, that was the worst thing not to have in that day. He's got 20 cars, but he doesn't have a son. And most of his prayers are like, God, about this son. You made all these promises. I'm in this new land. You made all these, but I don't have descendants. I don't have a descendant. He makes all these, and, and the enemy is constantly trying to get him to think about, about this. And, and Abraham also has all the stuff in the world, but that just reminds him of what he doesn't have yet. And 20 times a day, he's thinking about what he doesn't have yet. Come on. That's my life, man. I got to work so hard. 20 times a day, I'm thinking about the only thing that's not right yet. Genesis 13. Lot, it says, Lot is Abraham's nephew. Now, God said, hey, Abraham, Abraham and Abraham, leave your... Leave your country and leave your family. Abram's like, I should take my wife. And God's like, yeah, you should definitely take your wife. Don't leave her in the house of tools store. Don't, don't leave her in the car outside when you go inside when you first married because you forgot about her. And then when you go back there and you're like, oh my goodness, I totally forgot about you. Don't say that you forgot about her. Just make up something. Like there was terrorists and we had to do stuff. And I'm okay. I'm okay. Aren't you glad that I'm okay? Just make up crap. It's okay, guys. If, it, if you live another day, just make it right the next day. <laughs> so, so, see, Lot is one of those guys whose possessions possessed him. And he was, he was not, he didn't learn satisfaction. Now, Abram, he makes a huge mistake and he goes down to Egypt. 
And in Egypt, he's tempted with all these other things and he falls into sin in Egypt and he, and he tells lies in Egypt because he was so afraid of leaving the land where God called him because it was a famine. Don't ever leave the land that God called you to because there's a famine because Isaac, God says, stayed in the land of famine and, and reaped a hundredfold in that year in the land of famine. But Abram was afraid of losing his stuff. So he went to Egypt and then they come back and, and his nephew Lot, it says, was traveling with him. He had also become very wealthy. Um, with all of these things. Now, now, Lot had proximity to anointing, which brings prosperity, right. but not satisfaction. And th the trouble is, if you live on a law of minimums, you can live beside satisfied people who have less than you do, and all they do is drive you crazy. Because you're like, why are they satisfied? Then you feel even worse about being unsatisfied, and it makes you more unsatisfied because you're not as good as them. <laughs> or whatever, you know? Until this thing gets settled in your heart that only God can fix and heal. So the land couldn't support them. And, and so what happened was their herdsmen started fighting with each other and they started fighting with each other in the grocery store. If you got kids, they wait till they're at the grocery store. And then you grab them to keep them from murdering each other. And they're like, stop, you're hurting me. Because <laughs> they think you can't touch them in the grocery store. They think that mom's powers end outside the grocery store. My mom's power, my mom had power everywhere. She would just take, she would leave the car right there. Let's go out and talk to Jesus in the car. Yeah, they lay hands on you and pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall raise you up. Hey, talking to Jesus in the car is better than mom sending me to Jesus, which was the other alternative. It says the land couldn't support them. And they're supposed to be a good example to the people around them. But then Christians start fighting. Come on, am I preaching to COVID fans right now? Start fighting with each other in front of the inhabitants of the land. Yeah. About stuff that doesn't matter. And uh, Abram says a lot. Let's not allow this conflict. So he's like, we're close relatives. We shouldn't fight. The whole countryside is open. Watch what he does. Abram has finally learned. That where you are is not what satisfies you and what you have does not satisfy you any more than getting what you don't have will satisfy you. It's not about that. He says, the whole countryside is open to you. He's like, Lot, he says, take your choice of any section of land you want and we will separate. He's like, God decides. Well, watch this, watch this. We'll separate. He says, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Other way, he goes, I don't care. You pick the best of the land. Is that in your heart to say to somebody? Hey, you get the best of this thing. That's fine. You get the promotion that I wanted. Hey, I'm so happy for you. But see, Lot wasn't ready for that promotion. Watch. Verse uh, 10. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. Egypt look, looks great until you're a slave there for 400 years. And he looks over and he sees this land and then it says this, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now he's, he's with what he sees, he's creating a law of minimum. Like I need that now, but you don't know that the land that looks good to your family, when God maybe planted you in a different place, that the land that looks good could be a spiritual wasteland for your family overnight. You don't know that. You don't know that. And this is this, this is, this is the, the most important part. It says Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley, 
He went there, parted company with, with, with Abram. Okay. He chose for himself. Satisfaction does not come from what you choose for you. It can't. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from stuff around you and your circumstance all working out and your, if my marriage and my friends and if I just had this and it doesn't come from that. Abram finally found the secret that God does the choosing. God brings the satisfaction. Count it all joy when you're in various trials because the testing of your faith produces endurance. You're going to need this endurance. Put a smile on your face. When God does the choosing, you know that God has the happiness switch. I'm telling you. He has, when you please God, God has the happiness switch, the joy switch, the satisfaction switch. If you're not satisfied, you've got to quit being angry at everybody around you. Because they're not keeping you unsatisfied. You're living by law of minimums. So trade it. And get some healing. and Get some prayer afterwards. Be, confess a sin. Like, I'm living with a cup that's like got this line on it that everybody's supposed to fill all the time. And God's like, cup. You live beside the river. Pour it out and fill it in the river. Yeah, but that's not how we think. We just keep it because there's only so much to go around. It says, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can in every direction, north, south, east, and including where Lot went. Wednesday morning, I felt like the Holy Spirit said this to somebody today, that God has seen your faithfulness, so keep being faithful. The trouble is you're not ready yet for the inheritance. He sees your faithfulness. Don't go to some other place that looks better right now. He sees your faithfulness. It will come in his time. You just keep being faithful. That's your job. Don't worry about the... He sees you. When you don't think anybody sees you, he sees you. He knows that you sweat and you stay there when you probably could go and you're just going to stay and you're going you're to make the best for you. You're going to have joy in the storm. You're going yeah. to make it through. You're going to make it through. Yeah. God, says, God says, I'm giving all of this to you. And your descendants is a permanent possession. And I'm going to give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Remember, he still doesn't have a son. He says, go and walk through the land in every direction. I'm giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. But, but we still don't know his secret about why he was different than Lot until right now. There he built an altar to the Lord. Yeah. We never see Lot build an altar. There he built an altar to the Lord. What's the importance of an altar? It's always a surprise to us when, listen, when God pours out of his hand to you and then asks for it back. Because his hand is not necessarily his heart. Remember, remember now, only when I give to you am I loyal to you. So when God gives to you, his heart is connecting with you, but your heart is not connecting back. And so when God gives to you, he's going to at some point say, hey, that thing that you wanted and spent all that time, you finally got married, that's great. Put your husband on the altar. Put your relationship and your son, put your resources, that new job promotion, great, put it on the altar. Because uh, Isaac does come. Abraham's like 100 years old. Isaac comes, and then what does God ask him to do? put Isaac on the altar. Why? Because the devil can still put a gun to his head. Because the promise started becoming more important than the God of the promise. And until you put it back on the altar, then that's where you're missing it. 
until you put it back on the altar, your capacity for the inheritance is not great enough yet. And when you put it back on the altar, God's heart connects with your heart. Listen, he tells, he tells Abram, he says, go three days journey in this direction and put him on the altar. And he ties his son on the altar. Now, just as the knife descends, God's like, whoa, 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 stop. Good. You can have your son back off the altar. Because now you, you don't think that he's yours. You think that he's mine now. Because what goes on the altar, the devil can't put a gun to your head anymore. When you finally get to that place, you're like, if my marriage falls apart, I would still have you. And if I lose my son, I would still have you. And you would still be everything. But three days journey. Why three days journey? And I could preach a whole sermon. I could preach a whole series about this. He said, go three days over here and put the son on the altar. And he's like, I replaced the son with a, with a, with a ram. Three days journey from where he was was the same place where Jesus was crucified 2,000 years later when you give it back God connects your heart to his heart the sacrifice now becomes about God and all his stuff becomes about God and that sacrifice will will affect people for salvation that you don't even know yet because that it doesn't have power over us anymore but the secret is the altar